Welcome to the Head Shepherd Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Ferguson, CEO at NextGen Agri International, where we help livestock managers to get the best out of their stock. I want to take this opportunity to thank our friends at MSD Animal Health and Allflex for sponsoring Head Shepherd again this season. And I'm also excited to introduce our mates at Heinegger as brand new sponsors of the show. MSD and Allflex, or perhaps better known as Cooper's Animal Health in Australia, offer one of New Zealand and Australia's largest livestock product portfolios with a comprehensive suite of animal health and management products connected through identification, traceability and monitoring solutions. Like us, they see how the wealth and breadth of information born out of this podcast can help them and their farming clients achieve their mission of the science of healthier animals. Heineken will need a little introduction to our audience, a market leader and one-stop shop for wool harvesting and animal fibre removal, together with an expanding range of agricultural products and inputs. The Heineken name is synonymous with quality, reliability and precision. The Heineken team have a deep understanding of livestock agriculture, backed by Swiss engineering and a family business dedicated to manufacturing the best. It's fantastic to have both of these sponsors supporting us in bringing Head Shepherd to you each week. And now it's time to get on with this week's episode. Welcome back to Head Shepherd. We're uh, back closer to where I grew up these days and we've got Dr. Kate Burke from Think Agri on. Welcome, Kate. Thanks, Mark. Um, thanks for having me on. Excellent. So you're in a chuka today, which is only only a stone throw from where my grandparents and mum mum was born at, in a chuka and married in a chuka. So we're uh, yeah bringing it local and we're just sharing a story about um, running out of fuel next to, <laughs> close to our farm in Hopeton. So that's a, so a couple of good connections there. Yeah, lots of commonalities. And um, Dad had uh, seventy four first cousins all around that uh, Lockington, Elmore, Chuka area. So uh, it's not surprising that we've got a connection by marriage there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So sharing a first cousin as well. So yeah, no, nah. awesome. Uh, Kate, yeah, keen to to yeah, hear more of your story. I think your I think a sort of a bit of a byline for you is connecting the dots of science, people, and money, which is going to connect with a lot of people, and yeah, makes makes heaps of sense, and is pretty similar to what we try and achieve as well. The uh, we'll get to your we'll get to your book as well, crops, people, money, and and you, the art of excellent farming, and uh, obviously. Uh, a summary of of probably your life's work as can be found in that in that book. But um, I was really interested when I was wandering around your website, stalking you as you do before you interview somebody, and and <laughs> came across came across your article on weathering the storm, um, using personal power to steer yourself and your community through uncertain times. And I think there's probably one thing that's certain in agriculture is that there's going to be uncertainty. And and I thought that the structure you ran through in that article was was really good so i thought we might might follow along that structure if that works for you yeah absolutely it's um we've had since i wrote that article we've uh had a few goes at practicing the principles and um well they do work so more than happy to share them it uh, never makes it easy excellent so before we get onto that i'd be keen just to hear your your backstory obviously a phd in agronomy and uh, a career in agronomy but then Probably moving up the food, up the chain a bit and into helping helping people invest in ag across various aspects. So if we could just share the the short version of that story, maybe. Yeah, sure, Mark. So yeah, short version going back today. Dot youngest in um, on a family farm just west of Elmore in North Central Victoria. Uh, family's been there for 150 years or a bit more. Uh, Went off to uni, did ag science out at La Trobe, um, and first job was in the Wimmera. So that's when I sort of 
had a bit more to do with your home home uh, woods up around the Mallee region. So it had um, started off in research for the Department of Ag, good training ground, worked uh, as an educator at Longrenon Ag College and um, wasn't much older than the students. I think they educated me more than I educated them, um, which led into yeah, doing a PhD based at Longrenon through Melbourne University, worked in consulting for 12 years and was really fortunate to work with um, some really good farm businesses right throughout the Wimmera and the Mallee and had some great mentors in, in that time, particularly uh, John Stutchbury and many of the farmers I worked with. So a lot of the principles that I sort of try and espouse these days came from, from that experience and just saying, you know, those guys that just seem to have it and that ability to make good decisions at the right time and adapt. Um, after 12 years of doing that and going all the way through the millennial drought, um, sort of felt like it was time to leave the Wimmera and um, was uh, encouraged to apply for a job with Warakiri Cropping, which were in a in a building phase, the superannuation money, Australian superannuation money, and so I was appointed the commercial manager there, so effectively 2IC for the operation based in Melbourne, but um, so it really was a, I was a Queen Street farmer around the corner from Collins Street <laughs> and my my role was to manage the, um, the agronomy services, uh, the contract services, procurement services and support the farm managers in implementation and support the the business development people in in um, selecting and acquiring properties and, and getting them going. So when I left, uh, they were managing $200 million worth of farm assets in Western Australia, Queensland, northern New South Wales, southern New South Wales and Victoria. So that was a bit of fun. Did that for three years, then came back to the bush um, to sort of Back to near where I grew up at Echuca and we bought a place here and been consulting. And I guess my, my mantra at Think Agri is to really, it is about thinking and good, sophisticated thinking in agriculture and bringing together the best of both worlds. So that sort of intuitive, generational, multi generational family farm thinking and with some of the disciplines that come out of um, agribusiness and and corporate agriculture. So I've been doing that now for nearly eight years and um, that's what brings us here today. Excellent. So your clients are everything from a family farm through to big corporates? or Yeah, pretty much. Big corporates, little corporates, big family farms that are actually bigger than some of the corporates. Yeah, yeah. Small family farms do seem to do a lot of training and um, speaking these days as well, and, and writing. Probably gathered. I quite like writing and creating content. Um, yeah. Just you know, I guess my my philosophy is that, as you say, it's about joining the dots, and and it, it really is about connecting the people and the technical and the business together, and you can't separate them out. And I think. Um, where we can lose a lot of time and a lot of money is whether that's in R&D and extension or actually implementing is we try and treat everything in silos and the world just doesn't work like that. So um, that's what I do. 
Yeah, fantastic, and couldn't agree more. It's uh, you definitely forget any of those parts of that puzzle, and and it doesn't doesn't form a whole. So you know, fantastic. The uh, obviously at some point you decided you'd sit down and write a book, which I kind of in January twenty three I decided I'd might do the same, but I haven't actioned that, so I don't know if that'll ever happen. But the um, but uh, obviously that would have been a bit of work. Yeah, you might need another pandemic to lock you in the house. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what we need. No, wouldn't, we, yeah. wouldn't wish that on anyone. Yeah, it was a lot of work. Very satisfying, though, to bring together thinking of you know, people like Bill Malcolm and Ross Kingwell, Tom Van Reese, and a lot of people that have done some really good research and data that's sitting out in um, in, in separate little bits and try and bring it all together to make sense of it in a in a consumable fashion, and that's what I tried to do. Excellent, and we'll obviously put put that in the show notes, the links to the book, and links to your website and stuff, so people can find you and get in touch. and And uh, yeah, it'll be good buying for. Well, we're we're past Christmas now, but anyway, there'll be there's plenty of birthdays coming. So uh, that's right, got Mother's Day coming up soon, and then there'll be Father's yeah. Day and Easter yeah, presents. Who right. knows? You know, that's, that's right. Any day's a good day a for a present. It'd be better better for the health and the Easter egg for sure. The um, so if we do get into this structure, the weathering the storm structure, which I'm not sure what to call it, but it's got eight eight components which resonated with me. And so if we talk about the first one, which is managing thought, what's the what are the yeah, key concepts so, there? So the whole concept is around activating your own personal power, and and the you know, the simple concept that. We're the easiest thing we can change, and you know, that's come to me f- from some work I did on on resilience with um, organisational psychologist called um, Catherine McEwen uh, in Adelaide, and also the work on profit motivation um, or what drives it explains differences in profits. There seems to be this thing about self responsibility, and and it makes a lot of sense that you know. We we can change how we feel about other people. We can we can change ourselves a hell of a lot easier than we can change anyone else. So managing thoughts um, is basically just that simple concept. Of, I um, put it in terms of drafting, really. Um, like you've got all these thoughts going through the sheep race, and we've got to decide which ones are important, which ones we keep, which ones we cull, which ones we sit out in the in the back paddock. And um, if we can do that and be consciously aware of what our how our racing thoughts, um, it really does make a difference. Yeah, for sure. And I guess I don't know. It might come another other of these eight, but yeah, obviously our we are our own harshest judges often and always. And and it's the the kind of the chat in the, the inner chat in your head that. Mm. Often controls your mood on the day, and and you have complete control over that. You, the, yeah, the gap between what happens to you and what you do about it is all yours. And and yeah, if you can manage that, you're obviously a lot less reactionary. And I imagine amongst all of these uh, eight components, there's there's times we do it well, and there's times we screw it up, and and we just have to try and oh, yeah. more often than we less. Yeah, and and it's so you know some of the things I've learned in. Um, Sort of doing some personal work on myself in the last twelve years because I, I didn't actually come out of the drought all that well. Um, sort of took its toll on being um, taking on everyone else's stress, and 
a couple of things that resonated uh, at the time was, you know, getting rid of the word should because we keep telling each other we should be this, we should be that, and it's just a crap word really. Um, could's a better word. And the other one was we can't control, we, we have no idea what other people think. We, we're not mind readers. And once I stopped assuming that other people were thinking certain things, you know, just, it's a whole load off your mind. It's ridiculous, yeah. this stuff, but it's just so common. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. The second one was be aware of self and others. Tell us about that. Oh, this is my favourite, to be honest, because I'm naturally a commercial thinker and self-awareness, I think, is one of the biggest commercial assets we can have that we're probably not aware of. And the data actually, the data backs that up. Um, where they've done studies on things like emotional intelligence and then correlated those to farm performance. And when we look at uh, trying to nut out, you know, why some guys have it, some don't, often it comes down to they might even not know it, but they're actually acutely self-aware and therefore they can manage themselves. So self-awareness is really about um, it, it's just being in tune with, where you are at at the time and then reading the play around you, so reading your own play and reading self as others. So, for example, you know, you just mentioned your kids there at home. Say you've had it, one of the kids has been sick and you've had a really bad night and the next day, you, you, you know, you've been, you want to have a, a crack at your business partner about something, um, well, Maybe that's not the day to do that, and and just having that awareness. So look, I'm I'm really tired and cranky today. The best thing I can do for me and everyone else is to go and work on my own. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's just little things like that um, are incredibly, incredibly helpful. And I think self awareness also helps you to receive feedback and helps you to sort of be a bit more realistic. Cool, and I think. I don't know, I feel like sometimes there's, and, and yeah, definitely reflects in me, but sometimes we kind of think we're self-aware and we're not, or there's people that we know that sort of talk a lot of self-awareness chat but sort of then then do let the circumstance guide their guide their thoughts. So it's uh, I don't think it's something that necessarily comes by just telling yourself. You have to actually work on it and and do a bit of work to make sure you are remaining self-aware is that fair enough yeah i'd agree with that and you know certainly my journey self-awareness journey has um is ever you know ever evolving like even i've been working on this stuff for 10 years and uh on new year's eve this year one of my mates another ag science graduate um was dishing out all our, he decided that he'd give us all our own New Year's resolutions and my New Year's resolution was to um, shut up, so stop interrupting, and which I tend to do a bit in conversations, and to um, and to relax more. And uh, I was like, oh, gee, that was a bit of a kick in the guts, but um, he was probably spot on. Yeah, it's awesome to have have a close friend that can <laughs> give you a bit of rev up like that. Yeah, I think uh, probably the dozen coronas he'd had before midnight might have helped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
quick interruption here to remind you of Head Shepherd Premium and our consulting services at NextGen Agri International. If you love this podcast and want to hear more of them, visit thehub.nextgenagri.com and sign up for Head Shepherd Premium and get an extra podcast each week. If you're listening to this and thinking you really do want to maximise the genetic gain of your livestock and feel more confident around the decisions you're making on farm, then send me an email at mark at nextgenagri.com and we'll get in touch and see, see where that takes us. Excellent. Uh, yeah, number three was maintain resilience. And I think I heard somewhere you talk about how you hate buzzwords like resilience, but it's still an important uh, an important word. But, um, yeah, how do we – I guess that's easier said than done, maintaining resilience. Yeah, it is. And, and I guess um, just to touch on that, that first point about sort of cynicism or intolerance of overuse of, of ter- certain terms, um, I – Oh, I'm a bit of a oppositional defiance type people, and so once something gets trendy and starts being used loosely without a lot of meaning, it gives me the irrits. But I think in, you know, you can be cynical to your own detriment, and I think in this instance, the resilience in terms of staying productive and staying well, which is effectively the definition of resilience at work, again, Catherine McEwen's work, um, it makes a lot of sense and it's probably something we've done poorly as a farming industry and even as a workplace culture in Australia and New Zealand where that sort of, you know, Protestant work ethic um, has been ingrained in us from, from when we were really young and, and looking back at my own time, I probably worked too hard in, in my late 20s and and 30s, um, doing a PhD, trying to do a house renovation, working full time. I look back now, and thought, oh, no wonder I um, got a bit crook after all that. Yeah. yeah. So it's what again, resilience is about managing yourself and getting the support networks around you. You know, so if you need to hire a cleaner, hire a cleaner. Um, if you've got a young family, even if you're on farm, you know, it's just little practical things like that, um, working well together as a team, not you know, being prepared to delegate, all of those things contribute to your resilience. And then there's the basics, of course, of sleep and um, not too much grog and a bit of exercise. Yeah, which which is a tough enough balance in ag, but we all, we all live somewhere <laughs> in that balance. The, <laughs> the Maybe the one that resonated most with me was number four shift uncertainty to possibilities which i think is like humans don't handle uncertainty very well no they 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 don't and um i've been blessed to be one of those if you do a gallop strength finder i'm one of those personality types that can see possibilities really quickly so i could always imagine half a dozen different futures and I didn't realise till after doing some reading on on those um, Gallup's traits that that doesn't come naturally for most people. Um, so uncertainty can be really challenging for others because they can't see those futures. Um, and that's where data is really useful. There's, the research suggests that if you're using data to help guide your decisions, it actually drags your brain back towards the rational side and, and gets it out of that state of um, fight 
flight or or fight or fright. Because um, fear, I think, is you know I talked before about awareness being um, a superpower. I think the kryptonite in farming is actually fear. Yeah, that's a good point. I think what's this? What's the quote? We're born with fear of heights and. I don't know there's a couple of fears we're born with, but the rest we sort of manufacture over over life, and uh, so the well, most fears are not not founded in any evolution; they're just founded in in societal beliefs and stuff, and and often can be yeah very debilitating. Mm. And and the the, anic- the antidote to that is from moving from fear towards acceptance. So if you can accept, and this is where the data's handy, you know, you can look through your rainfall records, whether it's in Christchurch or or Hopeton or Echuca, and you can see, well, there's going to be years where rainfall's um, at a premium, there's going to be years where it's really excessive, and there's going to be a bunch of years in the middle. So, you know, once, and it ties into resilience, of accepting that bad things can happen and then managing and mitigating those circumstances is what resilience is all about. And that's what we yeah, need to do in farming. Yeah, definitely. And I like your reference to data on a couple of occasions and all of us are much safer or much happier when we've got a bit of information around us if we know what that's why we sort of some of the stuff we help farmers work through has been have been known for fifty, sixty, seventy years, but it's just reminding people to take a few measurements so you can make actionable decisions based on some information rather than kind of live in this awful space where you're not sure whether the sheep are going okay or not or the crops are going okay or not and how much nitrogen you should put on or you shouldn't. But if you've got some information, you can you can look at your data and all your data points and make a decision. You might not – it might end up being the right decision or the wrong decision, but at least you, you made the choice and set yourself up for the best outcome based on where you were at. Yeah, not thinking you know, a lot of your listeners are in the livestock game, just knowing your feed curves. Um, in, in the particularly um, taking that concept one step further and knowing what your feed curves are like in in El Nino years versus what they're like in you know, the the system we've just gone through, just having that basic knowledge um, just makes decision making really easy. You know, you might need to get stock off off paddocks at some time in the year. Um, you may know you might need to do culling. Um, all of those things, because it's too late. Once the paddocks are bare and blowing, it's you know you, you're feeling guilty by then and feeling pretty ordinary. Um, it's far better to make those decisions and go through those scenarios now. Exactly, and yeah, we often talk about that making the decisions before you need to, so that it's easier when you do. Because once you're once you've got emotion hooked up with decision making, it it's hard to make the right call. But if you've said that if it hasn't rained by this state and I'm going to do this action then and you stick to it, you're in a – because you've done use the data when you're in a nice in mm. a safe safe place with a good frame of frame of mind is, uh, is powerful. Yeah, absolutely. The next one's own less stress, which I think probably all of us could could uh, could deal with or work with, but the I think your own personal example there of, yeah, you take on other people's stresses in, in tough times and I guess – I'm guessing what that refers to is making sure you're stressed about the right things and the things that you can control. Yeah, yeah. And and um, I saw in 2015 I saw a presenter called Mark McKee on 
and he talked about um, stress is not the problem, the problem is lack of recovery. And he came out of a football background, played footy for Collingwood and is an exercise physiologist and he worked a lot um, with managing performance in, in sports and then he transferred that over into um, into corporate working and, and, and how those principles apply. And it just made so much sense that, you know, we play a game of sport, we we're serious about it. We go home and and try and have a bit of recovery, and or if you're training for a marathon or something, you don't go and run twenty k's every day for six months. Yet in our working lives, we seem to think we can work between fifty and seventy hours a week and um, participate in all our family requirements over the weekend. Or if you're farming, you might come from a farming culture where if you don't work on weekends, you're not a real Real farmer, yeah. um, and it's actually just to our detriment. And I guess the other important piece about the stress bit in terms of owning whose stress your own, I think it's really important in, in our profession where we're advising people that we know our role and our role is to be that calm head um, in, in difficult times and help people get through their fear and um, make really good decisions. And we can't do that if we've fallen into the role of the sympathetic best friend or the um, yeah, feeling sorry for, for people, even though yeah, you can fit, be compassionate for sure and be empathic, but we, we can't, um, you know, go down for the count because... That's that's not our role. So it's not our role to fight their battles. Um, if they're advocating, you know, say for example, water policy in in Australia, um, uh, unless you're in a specific industry role, it's it's not our role to go fighting those battles. Um, if they want to get involved in water politics and whatnot, that's that's for them to do. But if they're paying you to be their technical advisor. Um, your role is to actually make sure that they're making good decisions on on the farm. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I like all these, but ditch the judgment's another good one. The um, yeah, uh, I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on on judging others and judging yourselves. Yeah, I, I find um, again sometimes I think this one's my favourite rather than the self awareness. Um. I guess they're inter interrelated. When I was sort of, I suppose, in my recovery phase after feeling a bit cooked, um, one of the things people kept telling me to was to be kinder to myself. I couldn't work out what that meant. It sounded a bit soft and gooey, and um, and then one day it dawned on me that the ultimate act of kindness is to act without judgment, and. And once that and once that sort of sunk in, I started noticing how judgmental we are as a society, and we have a, um, you know, we have a opinion on everything, whether we've got any knowledge in that area or not. Um, we've just become this really harsh, judgmental society, including ourselves. And in a workplace, if you think about those principles of below the line and above the line, 
being above the line means, you know, we own the situation, we're accountable and responsible and we don't blame. Um, blaming is Blaming just doesn't get you anywhere, so blaming just gets you into a lot of drama. So I find that's one of the first things you can start to look at in a workplace dynamic is, you know, just check yourself. How often do we blame? How often are we blaming the world for our problems? Um, you know, all that stuff I think um, starts with judgment and if we can just replace judgment with kindness, um, it really does help. And start with yourself first. Yeah, it is really, if you actually, and I'd challenge everyone to do this, if you actually just record every time you judge someone throughout the day, whether you're in traffic, you see someone on the side of the road, if someone cuts you off, someone stands in front of you in the shot in the supermarket, whatever, the number of times you make a judgment about that person that is founded on zero other than your little one-second interaction, uh, yeah, I think it's really powerful to to pull yourself up on on how often you're judging and it goes from little things like calling someone a crap driver through to much higher level things that actually impact greater things in your life. So, you know, endorse that one completely. Excellent. So the next one, Kate, was be clear in your role at at any one time and, yeah, looking forward to hearing your your thoughts there. We covered a bit of that when we're talking about uh, those above, but um, it'd be good good to get a full explanation there. Yeah, so this does relate to owning owning stress for sure, and um, and allowing recovery time. I guess in in small communities, whether you're farming or um, you know had some sort of leadership role or or service provision role, the the boundaries can be really blurry. And even on farm, you know, we have half a dozen different roles, and we're fairly informal, and so. Um, a lot of conflict can come from when uh, we're trying to do everybody's role and and in terms of managing uncertainty and, and managing stress, sometimes um, it can be challenging um, if people are leaning on you. And so as a service provider, one thing I try to do is work out, well, when am I in service provision mode and, you know, when am I just having a cup of tea as a friend and and, uh, and creating some space to, to allow for that? Um, and, and that seems to work pretty well. And I think on farms, you know, a lot of the internal conflict that we can have can be sorted out if there is a discussion around, well, you know, who is the A-grade mechanic and... Uh, who is the um, stud master? Because um, if everybody's trying to be everything, it goes back to that judgment and critical sort of tendencies that we all have. You know, things can get um, pretty pointed. So I'm a big one for sorting out uh, roles. Yeah, and the last thing we all want and. I'm definitely guilty of this. Hopefully not too many of my team listen. Some of them do, but uh, I guess those of us who probably can do most things in the business doesn't mean just because we can doesn't mean we should. It's a, it's about putting putting people in responsibilities and getting the hell out of their road to let them let them do their job. And certainly in uh, in my less 
useful days. I can <laughs> it can be a pain on that front, I'm sure. So really important that we get out of their way and allow them to do their job. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I'm the same, absolutely. And certainly, you know, in my earlier days, um, I think I um, would have been a nightmare to work for because I was a bit of a micromanager. So hopefully, I'm I'm more reformed in in that um, in that stage now. I think in family businesses too, we often we we need to work out well, when are we. When are we playing mum? When are we playing business manager? You know, when are we playing dad? Um, the co-CEO along with mum versus um, the proud proud dad or the critical dad. I think there's a lot of blurring along those lines and family businesses that do really well have that ability to be professional um, and and work out, you know, when they need to be dad and and mum and um, and son or daughter, and when they need to be, you know, get on with the job. Yeah, no, fantastic. I think I think probably in that space, and it's not easy, but you often see people sort of waiting for, again, as we probably started with, waiting for other people to change so that their life can get better. But it doesn't matter where, which your role is, you can kind of always lead discussion towards a more professional or more I guess a more useful communication strategy rather than get stuck straight into the emotional bit and even if even if you've got someone senior in the business who's perhaps not changing gears like they should you can kind of certainly start a process and and move in that direction without necessarily sitting back and getting frustrated and not doing anything about yourself yeah yeah that's right you know and in in some cases with a bit of assistance and a bit of strategy we can get everyone to the table and playing their necessarily roles in in change and in other times it's just never going to work and that's where you know you have to make decisions for yourself and um say to yourself well does this adult does this adult really want to be in this business or or not and they're pretty big adult decisions but um sometimes they're necessary Yep, really good point. The last one in this list of eight was set boundaries to allow recovery time, which again, probably a bit about own less stress, but but yeah, it'd be good to hear your your recap there. Yeah, and this does relate to both the, the last one. You know, and I, I guess um, a good one, good example might be if you're the president of the local footy club um, in the middle of a drought and uh, you know, you are facilitating conversations and the footy club's you know, cheapest form of social work in most small country towns, whether they're uh, the AFL version or the or the rugby version. Um, and and it's just about knowing when you need a break from from whatever it is. Uh, got some mates over here that are really good at at uh, getting away from the negativity and. Just nicking off for a weekend um, if they if they don't want to listen to if the pub talk's got a bit negative and um, and I know myself you know I protect myself um, with for the media starts to get get going in in uncertain times I just stop reading some of the papers get off social media for a while I call it um, conscious ignorance 
So it's, um, you know, if you listen to every time a bomb goes off in the Ukraine or not diminishing the severity of that circumstance or every time a Chinese diplomat has a dig at somebody in Australia, you can send yourself nuts. And um, sometimes you just got to separate yourself from all of that. Yeah, I think think we constantly ignore the power of our brain and mindset to control lots of things going on in our lives and yeah you can certainly if you control what's going in you can control your clarity of thought and yeah i'm pretty useful useless in a pub quiz because i've my uh knowledge of what's happening in the world is pretty poor because i managed to stay away from most stuff and <laughs> and and that's not not because i don't care it's because like yeah you can't afford to have a, a brain full of fog worrying about a heap of other stuff which really in your circumstance you can't control. So Yeah, no, I and it's, I was just going to add in there, it, it's not about being in denial because I think that's another dangerous level. It, it's about knowing what you need to know but not 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 gorging on the news. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's sort of the distinction. Yeah, yeah, no, good point. Uh, we're sort of getting towards a wrap-up and we've had, hopefully the listeners won't notice, but we have had a power cut in the middle and MBM disappearing and we're, <laughs> we've managed to hopefully pull us together, or at least Sophie has. The uh, One of your quotes I listened to was uh, that I think something like 25% of farmers are twice as profitable as, as the rest or whatever those stats are. And, and obviously we've talked a lot about maybe the soft skills today, but all of these add up to to people running successful businesses and something that we're probably both pretty passionate about is helping people achieve the necessary change to to get up the gears and into the into that more profitable and productive area. Yeah, that, that's right. And and I I quote that statistic not to get people into comparison mode, but to make um Make us alert that there's a lot of opportunity out there that that isn't being captured, and um, and I'm probably keener rather than comparing to someone else's um, results. I think looking at, at comparing yourself to others, you know, gives you an idea of what's possible within a region. But if you're comparing to your own on-farm potential, so in, in both uh, livestock and and cropping, you know, we've got some pretty good benchmarks now in terms of, what, of what's achievable DSEs per millimetre of rainfall per, per hectare and the same in, in cropping in kilograms per hectare per millimetre. And uh, livestock, we bring it back to cents per kilo per millimetre per hectare and cropping, you know, tonnes per hectare or dollars per hectare per millimetre. Um, we can actually work out our potential revenue, and revenue drives most things. Costs are really important, but revenue is the most important aspect, and that's driven by productivity. So I've just done some calcs today, actually looking at potential um, potential revenue um, based on rainfall in the last 20 years and then slotting that into the different climate moods, and, um, and it's, it's pretty stark. How uh, how much driven we are by by rainfall and all these things that we worry about. Um, if we just concentrate on 
on converting water into dollars, I reckon um, we're well and truly on the way to realising our potential. Yeah, no, good points. And I think clearly we can't control what falls from the sky, so it's about acting once it has and 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 a lot of what we've talked about earlier is about being getting you in the right headspace so you can act appropriately when if it hasn't rained or it has rained or it rained more than it should or less than it could or whatever the reality is that the that's happened and that's how you act, you you use that information and uh, and like without fail every conversation you have with a farmer there's always someone that had a bit more rain or has a bit better soil type or has um has for some reason had a slightly better run but the reality is we all get to the hand we've dealt is only part of the equation it's how we manage our resources can take can put you in any one of those percentiles of, of farming depending on how you play that game yeah uh, that's true and the not data really, some people have really bad luck but yeah the data really supports that and i guess um we've got enough information now about climate and the drivers of climate that we can look at the forecast from this point on and make some judgments about um, what's likely not to happen. Um, and, you know, it's a bit like the old Moneyball movie and um, and the Oakland a- athletes, uh, that, that baseball team, what they were trying to do there wasn't so much on trying to get it right, but they were trying to be less wrong less often. And, um, you know, if we... Take the big indicators of, of rainfall, like things like El Nino and IOD positive. When they combine and we get the absolute stinkers, um, if we start to act earl- earlier in, in those years or in years like last year, if you can sort of see that they're the types of years where flooding's likely or where, you know, high production is, is likely, you can sort of take your chances a bit and, um, and play the odds. Yeah, no, fantastic. It's been a really great chat, Kate, and I'm sure listeners will get a lot out of it. We'll make sure we've got those links to your book and your uh, your web page there, which has got a blog and a whole heap of, whole heap of other information that people can read your content. So, um, yeah, we recommend people jump on there. I think obviously you have agronomy cropping background, but pretty much everything we talked about is applicable regardless of what, what uh, game you're in in terms of farming and outside of farming probably. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how, you know, the basics of just being good at what you do and um, managing the people side of things and being money conscious but not crippled by um, money worries. Uh, can Those three things can combine in, in any line of work really. Yeah, excellent. The, uh, all right, we'll look forward to catching up some somewhere down the track. We. Definitely mixing similar circles, so I'm sure we'll bump into each other at some point. Yeah, yeah, we'll yell out to go over this way um, along the river at some stage working with people, and I'm well overdue for another trip to to New Zealand, so it's something I'm trying to hopefully organise in the next 18 months or so. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people listening that will be keen, to, keen for you to say good day. so yeah, yeah no, definitely look us up. and um, I would don't recommend it from now until... About November, it'll be cool, but after that, it gets half bearable again. Yeah, yeah. Well, I went in February last time. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Kate. 
Thanks again to our mates at Heinegger who are proud world leaders in the manufacturing and supply, professional sheep shearing and clipping equipment. They understand that their customers rely on the quality and performance of their products each and every day. Also thanks to our friends at MSD Animal Health and Orflex. They offer an extensive livestock product portfolio focused on animal health and management, all backed up by exceptional service. Both of these companies are wonderful supporters of the Australian and New Zealand livestock industries and we thank them for sponsoring the Head Shepherd Podcast.